Welcome to the St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows podcast channel. The sermon you are about to hear is from our worship service on September 10th, 2023. For more information about the community and ministries of St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows, you can visit our website, smlutheran.org. There you will find the full online worship service from which this sermon is taken. And if you'd like to contribute financially to help sustain the ministries at St. Mark's, you'll find more information on how to do that there as well. And now, here's Pastor Mark Gravrock with the Gospel reading. The Gospel reading for this 16th Sunday after Pentecost is written in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the dominion of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. His fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. The Gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Late in the summer of 2009, the ELCA, that's the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, our national body, in their assembly made a crucial decision about gay and lesbian clergy. You might remember those days if you were part of the church at that time. That same fall, one Lutheran congregation in Montana held a series of debates over the issue, culminating in a vote as to whether they would stay in the ELCA or leave the denomination. The debates, well, just for the record, they stayed in, but not by much. The debates were not handled well. On one crucial occasion, two microphones were set up on opposing sides of the sanctuary, and folks on opposing sides lined up to speak for or against the measure. It was bitter and acrimonious. It was deeply painful. Family members, neighbors in the pew, and lifelong friends found themselves on opposing sides, hurling abuse at each other. One year later, both pastors had left. There was a well of unaddressed pain underneath the congregation's life. That next fall, I was called to serve as interim pastor, and I knew full well that task number one was going to be honesty and healing. 
The people in the congregation were wonderful folks, salt of the earth with hearts of gold, but they were deeply in pain, and they found it hard to believe what they had done to each other. They didn't know what to do about it. I figured that sooner or later the assigned scripture for some Sunday was going to call for speaking the truth about the situation. Well, sooner or later turned out to be sooner. It was either the third or my fourth Sunday there that I looked at the gospel reading and gulped and thought, okay, this is the one. In that sermon, I tried to imagine and describe the event that had happened one year earlier. As I imagined the scene, I described the pain that I imagined they went through and the shock when everyone realized what they were doing to lifelong friends. I have never spoken to a more silent church. After the service, person after person expressed deep gratitude that this thing was finally being spoken out loud. Well, part of what we all needed, to, needed was to find a way to begin to reconcile, and nobody knew how to approach someone that they had so deeply wronged and begin to talk about it. So we came up with a simple physical gesture. In the sermon, I suggested, there's that person sitting across on the other side of the aisle, that person you feel particularly estranged from. After service today, or on any Sunday in the future when you're ready, walk over to that person, put out your hand, and say, this is that handshake. That will be, those words and that gesture will be code language for, I haven't the foggiest idea how to move ahead with this, how to move toward reconciliation, but I am so deeply grieved that we treated each other the way we did, and I want you back. And people did it. Some did it that very Sunday, some needed more time before they were ready, and the conversation could begin again. Forgiveness is hard, isn't it? For me to confess my need for your forgiveness is hard. And to forgive a person who has deeply wounded us is hard. It's not surprising that Jesus spends so much time teaching about our brokenness toward one another. There's this entire 18th chapter of Matthew devoted to how we care for one another in community over our brokenness. There are other pointed words of Jesus that we know well. How can you take the sliver out of your, out of your neighbor's eye when you've got a whole log in your own? Judge not, and you will not be judged. The measure you give out to another is the measure that you receive. And then, of course, there's the Lord's Prayer itself every Sunday. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Gulp. Well, before we go any further, there are a few things that we need to get out on the table. First, forgiveness does not mean putting up with abuse. If you are living in an abusive relationship, God does not call you to stay put and to continue to take the abuse. That's not forgiveness. Second, forgive and forget is not biblical. I have yet to meet any human being who is capable of totally forgetting the hurts that they've received. The only one in the universe that I know of who's capable of forgetting our wrongs and promises to do so is God. And third, forgiveness does not mean saying, it's okay. We might say it's okay when we're really trying to say, I forgive. But the wounds that we deal to one another are not okay. They call for healing. They call for restoration. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is letting go. 
The New Testament word for forgiveness means release, letting go, setting free. To say, I forgive you, means I will no longer hold this against you. It means I will not keep a record of this. I won't hold it between us. Doesn't mean you're not going to feel it. Doesn't mean you won't remember it. It means I will not hold this against you. There's the issue. There's the central matter of Jesus' parable in today's gospel reading. The issue is that we keep score. We keep a record. We keep track. Peter asks, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive my skunk of a brother? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, nope, let's try 77 times. Or if you read the Greek a different way, 70 times seven times. I appreciated Siggy saying last Sunday, that means as long as it takes. And if I'm keeping track so that when I reach the grand total of 490 times that I've forgiven you, and then I say, aha, that's number 490, no more forgiveness for you, then I have totally missed the point. Part of how the Bible makes that point is to speak in terms of debt. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors is one rendering of the Lord's Prayer. Those debts might sometimes be literal financial debts. More often, they are the perceived debts that we hold against each other. You did this to me, and now you owe me. Or I did something to you, and now I somehow have to make it up to you, you know, so that we can be even again. There's a balance sheet, a reckoning. The Bible's testimony to us is that God is not like that. Here's Psalm 103, today's psalm, one of my favorites, by the way. God does not deal with us according to our sins. God does not repay us for our wrongs. God's compassion for us is as high as the stratosphere. God puts our wrongs as far away from us as east is from west. God has compassion for us as any good parent understands their child. God remembers that we are dust, that we are just human. That's the God the Bible celebrates, a God who takes our wrongs and wounds seriously, but does not keep score and does not hold the record against us. So finally, on to Jesus' parable. It's a story in three parts. Part one, the king forgives one servant who owes a debt of cosmic proportions. The servant says, have patience and I'll pay it all. And the king doesn't just have patience, the king cancels the entire debt. Part two, that same servant refuses to do the same for his fellow, but throws him into a debtor's prison instead, seizing him by the throat along the way, by the way. Part three, the community is shocked and scandalized, and they are right to be shocked. They report it to the king, who calls this first servant on the carpet and says, you scum, I forgave you that enormous debt, and you couldn't do the same for your fellow. And then the king uncancels the debt and hands the scumbag over to the torturers. That's the story. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus' story is a cartoon. It's not an accurate description of reality, and it's not very good theology. It's a cartoon. Why do I say that? Look at the numbers. That second slave owns the fir- owes the first slave a debt of 100 denarii. A denarius is one day's wage 
for a common laborer. So 100 days wages, that's a pretty decent sized debt. Using the United States minimum wage, which is about half of Washington State's minimum wage, 100 denarii is something shy of $6,000. That's not nothing, it's not trivial. It's a significant debt. It's kind of like if you borrow your neighbor's old car and then crash it and neither one of you has insurance. That's about what we're talking about. That's the level of debt. Slave number two owes number one. How about the first servant's debt? He owes the king 10,000 talents. A talent is the largest unit of money in the Greek world. It's equivalent to more than 15 years of a common laborer's wages. That's one talent. This servant owes 10,000 talents. 10,000, or a myriad, is the largest number in Greek math. So this guy owes the king the highest Greek number times the largest unit of Greek money, which amounts to over 150,000 years of wages. In order to pay that off, a person would need to work almost as long as human beings have been on the planet. As one person in our Wednesday text study put it, this guy owns, owes a bazillion dollars. That's pretty accurate. One of my favorite lines in this story is when that first slave cries out, be patient with me and I'll pay it all off. You'll pay it all off? You're kidding? You have any idea? It's a cartoon. It's a cartoon with a point. What's the point? Maybe a couple of points, actually. First, the debt level that Jesus paints is so staggering that it blows all our accounting and record keeping off the table. If God were to keep score, the psalm says, where would any of us stand? And second, what in the world is wrong with this bozo? The fellow servants are shocked and scandalized, and so are we as we hear the story. What is wrong with someone who has, knows they've been forgiven such an astronomical debt and then has no room for forgiving somebody else's used car level debt? What's wrong with me? when I know how thoroughly God has forgiven me, and I'm still willing to hold against you your little, maybe even accidental, wrong. What's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with us as we keep on keeping score? Steve Garnas Holmes, the pastor poet whom I've quoted at least once before, wrote this the other day. He says, when we are hurt, we naturally seek to offload the wound or loss in blame, as if the pain might stick to the fault in somebody else. And so we'll even curse the coffee table, you stupid thing, for being there. But of course, projecting our pain doesn't shed it. It only buries it deeper and in fact becomes a way of hanging on to it. Blame is a heavy load to carry. The careful accounting, the accrual of debt, the work of keeping pain unfinished because of someone else's fault. Refusal to forgive is never about the other person, but about me and my invisible chain to my past. What's wrong with the guy in the cartoon? What's wrong with us? What's wrong with me? It's a heart problem, as one of our Wednesday text study folks noticed. That final nasty verse of the passage, so my heavenly Father will do to you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Really, Jesus? 
Are you really saying that if I fail to forgive, God will take away my forgiveness? That God is a record keeper after all? After so much, so much for grace? That God will ultimately prove to be as graceless as this unforgiving servant? Is that what you're saying? Today's psalm told us otherwise. God does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us for our wrongs. God puts our wrongs as far away from us as east is from the west. Jesus' declaration is, in fact, asking us, what kind of a world do you want to live in? Do you really want a record-keeping God? Do you want a record-keeping life? Do you want relationships that keep score? Then this is the world that you create. Live your life keeping score and holding each other to the score, and here's the kind of God you're asking for. The alternative? Forgive from the heart. Choose to live in the world of grace and forgiveness which, are, which is ours by gift in Jesus Christ. Choose to lay aside the scorecard. Walk across the aisle toward that one that we've been estranged from. Put out the hand and say, this is that handshake. I don't know what else to do, but I don't want to keep score anymore. It's ours. It's already ours by gift, by sheer gift, from the God who carries all our scorekeeping to the cross and buries it once and for all. Amen. You've been listening to the St. Mark's Lutheran Church by the Narrows podcast channel. Thanks for joining us.